Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 55, Continuous Improvement and Cancer Support with Kim Heyman. Have you ever been faced with one of your colleagues, team members, or employees having a serious illness? As a leader who really believes in respect for people, what should you do? What should you say? Kim Hamer is here to share her insights and learnings from her husband's journey with cancer. Kim Hamer, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Kim, tell us about yourself. Sure. So um, I guess the reason I'm here is because back in 2006, my um, six foot six uh, organic eating, very healthy lifestyle husband was diagnosed with stage four a cancer. He had large B cell lymphoma. Not that that's going to mean anything to a lot of people. Um, but it was the worst stage. He was very, very sick. Um, and he set his mind to getting himself disentangled from the cancer. And I use that word on purpose because I don't really like the idea that it's a battle. What I really like the idea is it's an entanglement because it doesn't just involve him. It involved our family. It involved his coworkers. It involved his boss. It involved our neighbors. It involved a lot of people. Cancer is an entanglement. Um, he then was then diagnosed cancer-free and we were starting to put our lives back together and just trying to figure out this post-cancer world. Um, and then less than two years later, the cancer came back and four months after that, he died. Our kids at the time were 12, nine, and seven. And something really magical happened during that time. While he was sick and after he died, our friends and families and coworkers and, and neighbors just kind of did all these amazing things for us. And I started calling them acts of love because it was like, here's a lasagna, here's an act of love. We're picking the kids up from school today and you're not gonna see them till 9 p.m. tonight. Here's an act of love. We love you, we're gonna take, you know, we're gonna take, we're gonna drive art to the Cancer Treatment Center, act of love. Um, so I started kind of just kind of taking notes in my head of what was ha- or what happened. And a couple of years after he died, I decided to write a book called 100 Acts of Love, A Girlfriend's Guide to Loving Your Friend Through Cancer or Loss. And I wrote it because something I noticed was a lot of people didn't know what to do. And to be really 100% honest, I sort of wrote the book for myself because I would have been the worst friend to me had I been on the other side. I wouldn't have known what to do and I would have said the wrong things all the time and I would have been afraid. And so I wrote this book because when you think about cancer diagnosis, what do they say? That one in three people are gonna get cancer before they die. Uh And if you think about that, how are the other two going to help? So there's no, there's not a lot of guidance out there on how to support a friend dealing with cancer or loss. And that's why I wrote the book. Then a few years after that, I actually went back to work and I'm an HR leader. 
And what did I notice at work? The same thing that I noticed when I wasn't working, that most people don't know what to do or say. Businesses don't have any idea how to have these conversations. Managers don't know how to, how to help an employee. And we often think, oh, it's just the person with cancer. But again, it's an entanglement. So when you have a team member who has cancer, it affects the team, it affects the manager, it can affect cross departments depending on the person's role. So it really is an entanglement and, and managers needed need the skills and need to understand how do you have really good conversations? How do you support the employee in a way that keeps your productivity moving forward, but also is compassionate, which is what you're all about, right? The kind, it's kind leadership. Yeah. So uh, it's so interesting to me to hear you talk about this, um, you know, in the context of what we do in Lean, right? Because in Lean, one of our core tenets is this idea this vision really of respect for people and respect for people as we often talk about on this podcast is not this it's not just a simple easy thing it's easy to say but it's it's about how you really believe that every person is this amazing creation who is able to learn and grow and contribute and that your job if you are a leader is to really help that person learn and grow and contribute and now all of a sudden and it happens as you said quite frequently you know one in one in three people will have some kind of cancer uh before they die and sometimes it's you know it may just be something you know something small or it may be something that is really quite life-changing and and I think the first thing that a manager thinks about in that situation is well you know well what do I what do I do right how do I manage this is this this person is going to be in and out of work a lot they're not going to be productive maybe they don't want to learn and develop anymore they've got to focus on I mean there's all these sorts of go kind of go through your mind and I just want I want to bring up another thing that happened when this actually happened to me. I had an employee who had cancer. And uh, what happened when she was out on leave, HR told me I wasn't allowed to talk to her. Right. Yes, yes. So I so I had to get information about what was happening to her second hand through other employees who were talking to her. Right. So so it was it was incredibly it was an incredibly difficult um, situation at the time. And I I think I was probably pretty horrible at being that person's manager. Um, at, at the time, and I, you know, I'd be the I'd be the first to admit it, because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do when she right. was in the office, right? And when yep. she was not in the office, I couldn't even find out what was going on. You know, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's so, so it's, I I look at when you're dealing with an employee with cancer, I look at it in, in three different stages or four different stages, really. The first stage is what happens with most managers. The employee comes into the office and says, I have cancer. And if you're a good manager, your first thought is, oh crap, what's going to happen with the team, right? Like what's going to happen with the project, Mm -hmm. this person. And then your second thought is, Oh crap, I shouldn't have thought that I'm a bad person for thinking that, right? So, <laughs> right, so, yeah. so you end up with this feeling of like, I'm a I'm a bad manager because I didn't think about them first. But we forget that our job as managers is to produce whatever it is we're supposed to deduce. We have been 
given responsibility to get a job done, to meet KPIs, to get this widget out the door, to make sure the marketing is on time, you know, to make sure the technology is working in HR, to make sure that people are gainfully, you know, happily employed in your organization that we're following compliance. So it is an absolute natural response. So I often tell managers, look, it's a good response you have that. You're, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with your response. It is a typical response. And then that section of the, of the training is really about just kind of acknowledging their feelings and also taking a look at their assumptions, because this is where most managers go wrong. They assume. So if you haven't had anybody in your life with cancer, then you assume what you see on TV, that they're going to lose their hair, that they're going to get really thin, that they're going to be really weak, that they're going to need all this time off, that they're not going to be able to work. That's the assumption. And, and it's based on what we, it's based on the stereotypes we see all the time. So you have to kind of take those apart and honor that kind of like, oh, this is what I think is going to happen. Because the reality is, Cancer, it, what happens to the person who has cancer depends on their cancer, depends on the stage it's at. They don't all, not everyone gets chemo, not everyone gets radiation. Sometimes it's surgery, sometimes it's chemo radiation surgery, sometimes it's just immunotherapy, sometimes it's a combination. So the way that cancers get treated is so, it's so varied that your stereotype, it may come true, but it may not. So really taking a step back and looking at your assumptions of what you expect to happen. I think so. I think that's really important for managers to do. And oftentimes, you know, as managers, we get the news and we go into, okay, I'm going to fix this for the team. The, the second thing that I talk to managers about, and HR was correct in giving you that information because what happens sometimes is managers will then call the employee who is out on FMLA and say, oh, by the way, um, I, I want Colin to see how you're doing, but also can you, um, there's that project thing. So they're asking them to do work, which is illegal. Right. If they're out on leave, you're not supposed to. But when you as the manager have the conversation and there's steps, there's certain points I, I have managers talk about, you can have the conversation with your employee and be like, okay, first of all, communicate human to human. Like this really, to me as your manager, this is really scary and I'm so sorry this is happening, right? Knowing what to say, honoring that person, having respect for where they are in the journey. Your job as a manager is not to make them feel good. It's not to make them see the positive light of having cancer. You know, don't tell you about, oh, this is gonna be a great life lesson. That's not your job. Your job as the manager is to sit and listen and respect where they are. And sometimes you're gonna to have to ask questions to understand exactly where they are. But you may be the only person in their life right now, you can be the only person in their life who gives them the space and asks the questions that they don't even think to ask. And some of those questions are, right? First of all, you, you're not allowed to ask about what kind of cancer it is and what their treatment plan is right. and everything else. But you can ask, do you know how this will affect your work? That's a question you can ask. You can ask how many, you know, are you going to need to take time off? That's a question that you can ask. That's a question HR can ask. That's a question you can ask. You can ask questions like, how do you want to manage the message to the rest of the team? When that's a ask, that's a great question, right? Because when, the 
the the way that news can travel around a team and the consternation that it can cause can come back and be damaging to the person um, exactly. who's at the center of it. And that's a really powerful, I respect you question, right? It's a really powerful, I want to make sure that we are taking care of how this mess, how, how you, I want to protect you and how you are seen by the, by the rest of the organization. That's the question that you're asking. And some people will come in and say, oh, I already told the whole team, right? You may be the last person to know. And some people will come in and say, I don't want anyone to know. I don't. And based on what the doctor told me about my treatment, I, I will only need Fridays off. So I would like not anyone to know, and this is how I'd like to message it, right? So you, there, there's, there's there, like, it's sort of like the cancers. There's so many different types of cancers and there's so many different ways that you can message that conversation. The third thing I make sure that man, I often suggest that managers do is that they then sit down and come up with a work plan with this person. Because- So don't going, throw it to the person and say, all right, now you figure it out. Right. Exactly. Come back and don't don't say come back and, and tell me what it is that you're going to do, but actually exactly. do that work with them. And do the work with them. And I think that's a key thing that you just said, Bella. It's do the work with them. Don't what I've seen managers do is, well, they're gonna have cancer, right? They're they're dealing with their assumptions. So they're gonna have cancer. They're probably gonna they told me that they're gonna be working, but they're not gonna be able to work well. So we're gonna pull this project and this project and this project. We're gonna help them out. And what, what happens when managers try to help the employee out with talk, without talking to the employee, they disengage the employee who's dealing with cancer. And that is the worst thing you want to do. One, because it disengages the employee, but two, the team sees what happens when you show vulnerability. And the message you're sending to the team is, if you are sick or if you have vulnerability, do not tell your boss because your boss is going to pull all the good stuff that you love doing, right? The boss is going to make these decisions for you that they think are deemed are good, are good for you. And that's not a message that you want to tell the team if you're looking for really good employee engagement outcomes. So I think that that, so those are sort of the, the big ones. And then the next thing is to make sure that they're checking back in because my husband has first round of chemo. He was, he was sick, but he was like, oh, I got this. Second round of chemo, he's like, hmm, not so much. Third round of chemo, put him out. And so you and your employee, unless it's your employee's third or second or third or fifth battle with cancer, no one knows how the future is going to roll out. You don't know how they're going to feel. They may be fine. You know, I had a friend who's doing immunotherapy and what he noticed was he was getting this immunotherapy and two days later, he was losing his sight for 24 hours. He Yikes. didn't know that was going to happen. And then the ramifications, right? The emotional ramifications of losing your sight for 24 hours, that causes a dip in productivity. He didn't know that that was going to happen. And now he's in sales, so he has a little bit of a leeway, but you need to have the constant check-in just because you have a work plan in place. doesn't mean that it's good to go for the next six months. You need to be able to have those, those check-ins with your employee. And so that's, and that's, I was going to say, just from a from a lean perspective. So what what that what that saying is, you actually want to put that as part of your leader standard work. Your leader standard work should include checking in with this employee and modifying the work plan as circumstances dictate. Maybe you know, adding things, taking things away, depending on on what's going on with the employee, and that should be part of of the leader's standard work. 
to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Working with the employee is a key, key, key component. We are talking now, what happens sometimes is, you know, employee will come back from cancer treatment and they haven't had these conversations. So they come back into the office or they come back full time. And then a year later they leave and people often say, oh, it's because, you know, the cancer treatment was just, they have a new life or they, you know, and sometimes they will not really understand why they're leaving. The turnover that you see in an organization doesn't happen immediately after the employee gets back. Uh, It usually doesn't. Usually it occurs six months, nine months, a year. You could see turnover happening within the team even because that team is watching you. We all know this, but it's such a hard thing for managers to to wrap their heads around. The team is watching you. They're watching what you're saying. They're watching what you're doing. They're watching how you handle this, 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 this situation. And they are listening to the employee who is dealing with this situation because you know that employee is sharing with them you know, or they're coming out of, they're watching the employee come out of the office with their eyes rolling, right? Or, yeah, or feeling yeah. unsupported or whatever. So the team is watching you and how you behave and how you act with this employee and what you say determines whether or not that man, that team member is going to leave the organization six months, nine months, a year from now. So it's really important that managers put some thought into, it's sort of like, look, this is basic managing 101. There's not no magic of what I'm sharing. It's just managing 101 really in a tight space in a short period of time. With a lot um, of, of flexibility, right? And yes. not assuming because we have created something today that it's still going to work tomorrow or next week, which again, in, in lean is exactly how we should be. We should always be looking and saying, have the circumstances changed? What do I need to do to adapt and make sure that we're still at the standard? And the standard should be that the employee is engaged and feeling cared for and that you are interested in in actually developing them, not just supporting them, but, you know, but helping yes. them um, to continue to learn and grow as they're going through this. Exactly. I think it's so interesting what you said about, well, I'm going to take away, if I take away all the hard projects, I'm just thinking about how would I feel in that situation? I would feel like, well, you know, the only reason I come in is because this project is interesting and challenging. And now you're taking that away. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to file or something because, you think it's too hard for me. Exactly. And what will happen is you'll watch that employee's productivity go down way lower than it would if you had let them keep one of the projects, right? Because we Uh think, oh, the productivity is going down because they have cancer. Not necessarily. It could be, but not necessarily. But that's why that constant conversation is so important. That continued conversation is so important because that employee needs to feel safe. They need to feel, we, we forget, our identity is wrapped up in work, whether we like it or not, right? And when we have a manager who is focused on us, helping us grow, we feel engaged. We feel like we matter. We feel like it's really important. And we want to return that. We, we have this desire to return that, that energy into doing good work. We feel capable. We want to do good work. And when we make mistakes, we, we, we want to kind of say, okay, I made a mistake. How do I learn from this? Like we feel this general excitement and that excitement can continue when you have cancer. Just because they have cancer doesn't mean that they can't feel that excitement. That excitement can be like, wow, I have cancer and I still got to do X, Y, and Z. I still contributed, not the level I wanted to, which was very disappointing for me, but I still contributed to getting this thing out the door. And that makes me feel good. And when I'm better, I'm coming back. 
I'm so excited to come back. And that's what you want. The growth doesn't stop just because cancer came into their lives. That's such, is that, I mean, that's a really great way to, to think about it, Kim. So, so tell me, what would be like the one thing not to say? Like somebody, somebody comes to you, whether it's an employee or somebody else, they say, you know, gosh, I got this thing I have to tell you. I learned I have cancer. What do you not say? The one thing I tell everyone never to say again is don't say, if you need anything, let me know. Now I know your audience members are going, oh, darn. I, I say that all the that. time, right? <laughs> I used to say it all the time and I will be fully honest. It is hard not to say it because in the moment, we really do mean anything. We really do want to help any way we possibly can. And if it meant that we would go out and you like, you know, collect pennies off the street, just search the, search the street for pennies, we would do it because that's how much we care about that person. Now, there are three reasons this is the least helpful thing. What is anything? Like that's just too big a word. I had a toddler. I had a three-year-old in preschool when my husband was first diagnosed. And, you know, does that mean that you were going to go pick up my vomiting toddler? Like, were you up for that, Mr. Person who's single, doesn't deal with kids? Mm -hmm. Or did you mean that you were willing to pick up a gallon of milk when I called and asked for a gallon of milk, right? Anything is too big. The second reason you're you, any this, you know, if you need anything, let me know is not helpful is because you're asking the person who's in crisis, you're putting the pressure on them to figure out what anything is. You're putting the pressure on them to come up to like pull apart their day. Now, when you say to say to your spouse at the end of the day or your partner at the end of the day, I had a good day or I had a bad day. They usually don't ask you, they, they might ask you if you had a bad day, what happened? And you can pull apart that one thing that one moment that was bad. But the rest of the day is hard to pull apart. You're like, well, I went into the office. I had a few meetings. What did, who did I talk to? All right, I talked to them about that. When Think about that when you're saying that to, you're asking the person to pull apart their day. They don't, you know, they're like, I don't remember that I was out of toilet paper. I don't remember that I needed, that I forgot a meeting. I don't remember any, you know, these things. So you're putting the pressure on them to figure it out. And then the last thing is, you are asking them in their really vulnerable state where they're feeling terrified. They've never had this before. They understand that it is life-threatening. You're asking them if they figure out the one thing that they need to call you, to ask you to do this anything that they're not sure that you even really want to do that. And, and, and that you may say, ah, oh, like, okay, right. You didn't really want to do it but you're willing to go pick up my vomiting toddler because you said you do anything and you don't want to be a crappy friend. So you're going to go do it. Like they're not going to risk that rejection. They're not going to risk you saying no. So instead they're going to do it themselves. And so the best thing you can do in reverse of that is to be specific. And I know some of your audience members are like, well, what do I do? Think about your own day, right? Think about mm -hmm. like, I have run out of toilet paper. Right. So maybe you can be in my book. I have, I think it's act of love. Number 48 is be their bathroom stalker. Right. So S T O C K E R, but you could be their bathroom S T A L K N E R. Right. Stop. Uh, sorry. S T A L K E R. Because what you're going to do is you're going to make sure that they are loaded up on toilet paper and toothpaste and toothbrushes and, and dental floss and tampons or whatever else they might need. Because when you're in crisis, the one thing that happens all the time is doing the normal B 
becomes, takes a lot of energy, becomes difficult. So those things that we do in our lives that are sort of a pain in the neck, like taking your car to the, to the repair mechanic, right? To the mechanic. It's, it's difficult when things are going well. It's overwhelming when you have something as major as cancer on your plate. So that it just about, feels like something else. It's like something else is piled up. It's piled up. Um, it's piled yeah. up and, and they don't have the mental energy to deal with it. So when you think about your day, think about, you know, maybe they need to have their car registered. And so what you come to them and you say, look, I know this thing is going to last for six months, like you told me. So I'm happy to register your car. Do you know what it needs to be registered? And they go, oh my God, it needs to be registered in three months. Great. Got it. Send me the registration thing, or I'll pick it up from your house. We'll take care of it. We'll get it done online. You know, we'll, we'll get it done. So it's something, the more specific you are, the better off you are, the better, the more likely they are to call you and ask you. And I always say this offer more than once, because again, that person, look, we are all really good at offering help. We're all, we all claim to you. I love to help. There is every time, every time I do this, when I speak, I say, how many of you are really good at receiving help? And in a room of a hundred people, sometimes only one hand will go up. One person will be like, uh, I'm good at accepting help. <laughs> We're all crappy at accepting help. We're not good at it. And so put yourself in their shoes. You've just offered to register their car. And they're like, yeah, great. Thanks. But they're thinking in their heads, I can do that. That's something really simple. They're not thinking about how difficult it is. So again, two weeks later, you say, hey, if you need your car registered, I'm here. And then maybe a month after that, you go, you need your car registered, I'm here. And then they go, okay, she, first of all, she's offered, she or he has offered three or four times. So they're serious about it. And you know what? I kind of need to let it go because I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I can't do it myself. So and isn't that something then you could do with a group of people like with I'm thinking again back at work with a team, you could you could say to the team so we're gonna we're gonna help so and so out during this per this period of time. And, um, you know, I'll, you know, I'll take I'll take making sure that, that this is being done for them and, and yes. who who wants to make sure that they never run out of milk right yes, you know, that exactly. would be. Exactly. And you can do it with work things as well. You know, I've seen people say there was a one person who always put together the agenda and they said, let me help you with that. And so they helped them with them for, it was a weekly meeting. They helped them put together the agenda every week. And then when they got sick, they got too sick to kind of do it. They took it over. So, right. So it's something that you can do as simple as it's not fun putting together agenda. It's not fun pulling out all the agenda items that you need to put to, to put on there, but it's something you can do that's really helpful. That feels like you're like you're taking care of it, and it's not going to be your job forever. So there are things at work that you can do as as well. It all depends on the team. It depends on your. It depends on what your projects uh -huh. are. Depends on everybody's roles. Right. And, and where people are located. I know so many people are working now with remote teams. Yes. So you have to, would have to think about that differently. Right. But there are still things that you could you could yes. do. Yes. Yes. And with yeah. remote teams, there's the added difficulty of staying in touch with the employee. Right. Because when right. we're in when we don't like, you know, if if you haven't I was of this, you have a team like with even with odd numbers like nine. Right. So that they take up three squares across or maybe even four. It doesn't even matter with Zoom or with with every with Microsoft Teams. So if you have a team where someone's constantly missing, if they're not there, then they're not there. And it sort right. of is out of sight, out of mind. 
Um, so, you know, if, if that, and this only goes for employees who are not, who have, who are unable to work. So this doesn't go for employees who, who, you know, who are in the office every now and then, or, on, you know, online every now and then. So you have to make a concerted effort to stay in touch with them. And actually this goes, this goes for anybody, whether you're over Zoom or whether you're remote or whether you're in office, when they're not there, you have to make a concerted effort to stay in touch. So a lot of times I will say to someone, you know, one of the managers, I'll tell HR team, ask for a point of contact for the person who's dealing with this cancer, right? So the first, if it's employee dealing with cancer, you want a point of contact. You don't want to be calling them all the time and saying, hey, did you get the meals? Or how else can we help you? Or you actually don't want to say, how else can you help you? But you're going to say, we're going to do this, but we need to check in with you about these things. So you want a point of contact. Um, and that's really important because when you have that point of contact, you can reach out to them and say, hey, as a group, as a company, we would like to do this. Is this okay? Or when can we set up the delivery of this thing? Or we want to send your kids a care package. Um, we just want to know what their favorite, you know, superheroes are or what they're really into right now, what, you know, characters they're into. So we can send something that's relevant to what they are, what, you know, to what, to their, to what their interests are. So you want that point of contact person. Um, I do want to back up for a second because sometimes we always end up talking about the person with cancer in the office, but of equal pressure is the caregiver. Mm -hmm. So you might have a caregiver who is dealing with a child who has cancer or a partner who has cancer or a mother who has cancer, and their work is also going to be affected because they are now taking care. They are now the, the caregiver of this person who's dealing with this this problem. And it's harder in a way because it's less visible. They still show right. up. They may look a little disheveled every now and then, but they're still showing up. They're still trying to get their work done. But you might find that at three o'clock every day, their work ability tanks, right? And, you know, along with a lot of us, but maybe, maybe you find by Thursday, they're just not able to work and you can have those conversations with them too. Unfortunately, they are less likely to come to you and say, this is going on in my life because they just don't understand how it's going to interfere. So you as the manager may need to have that, that respect bubble and say, right? And, and I'm assuming that when you're using lean, you are doing this because you're noticing that their performance is not quite where it used to be. And you're sort of waiting for, and you, maybe you've had a couple conversations and they're still not there. And so that's when you can say, is something else going on? You don't have to tell me what. But is something else going on in your personal life? Because here's what I'm noticing at work. And I want to help you get through this, right? I'm not offering to be their therapist. I'm not offering to come in and be their rescuer. I'm not offering any of that. But you're just offering, let's figure out how we can make work better for you so you can deal with this other issue that's going on in your life right now so you can be the most productive that you can be that you can feel the most you can feel the best you want to feel while you're doing the work and still take care of what needs to be taken care of so i did want to mention that because we often talk we often focus on the employee with cancer but there are caregivers and just a little quick fact yeah 40 46% of those diagnosed with cancer are between the ages of 25 and 64 those are prime working years so almost right. half of the people if you haven't dealt with an employee who's dealing with cancer or is a caregiver for someone with cancer it is just a matter of time it's not if it's just when it's when yeah but and, and yeah because 
you got to deal with an, a large number of people during your working life. And I think it's it's so true what you say about caregivers. Uh, my husband is a cancer survivor. He was fortunate his cancer was treated with one surgery. And, um, and so that, that went very well. But I remember the the day he after he was diagnosed, being in a meeting and people talking about something. And I was sitting there thinking, like, this is the dumbest, stupid thing. Why do they even care about this? My husband has cancer, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and um, you know, I, I was in an environment where I was able to be very open and say and say what was going on which was which was very helpful um and i fortunately was given as much time as i needed when he had his surgery to uh, you know to take care of him and do that piece but but just the you know my focus was certainly not on the content of the meeting in that day and um and that's a number uh, one symptom i have managers look for if you have an employee that is kind of suddenly really just pissed off like uh, suddenly doesn't is like this is so like felt like they were engaged before, but they're rolling their eyes or they're just, they seem really short tempered, right? So the thing that we don't, for, the thing we forget is our brains are not capable of focusing on a lot of things all at once. And when our brains are taken up by a crisis, no matter what the crisis is, we tend to, um, we, we tend to anything that takes us away from that thinking of what's happening, pisses us off. And I often refer to this when I labor. So you see this a lot in time when women who labor naturally without any drugs, they will be, um, they get really intense, really, really super intense. And, and I remember when I told him I was in labor with my oldest son and I was like, honey, wipe my brow. And he dapped it. And I was like, wipe my brow, you know, and I would never get that mad at him that way. And he was like, okay. And, he was and the midwife explained to me what happens is your body is so focused on doing this one thing, anything that distracts you from it, just infuriates you. It's the same thing when you are dealing with a crisis, when your mind is so focused on cancer on dealing with this thing that's going to, could kill you, could kill your friend, could kill your partner, could kill your child, right? Anything that distracts you from it just pisses you off. And so if you have an employee that all of a sudden seems to be really short-tempered, kind of, you know, doing, like I said, eye-rolling, short-tempered, kind of like, ugh, you know, doing a lot of this gesture, not getting their work done because they just feel it's stupid. They, they seem to know, they seem to all of a sudden want a why they have to do it. It could be that there's something else going on in their personal lives that is pulling all of their attention away or most of their attention away from work. So they feel like this is, that the work that they're doing is a distraction. Wow, that's a really interesting tip because I can see that person in some circumstances sort of being, well, we have, we're going to have to have a conversation, you know. Exactly. And, and really, you should be having a listen, right? You need yes. to be creating a space where you should have a good, we need to have a listen. Get in here right now so we can have a listen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's so true because you're right. When we say conversation, we don't mean we need to have a conversation. What we mean is I need to tell you a few things. I need to tell you how bad you're doing your job and what you need to do to get it better. Right. But really it's a listen. What's happening? What's going on? I've noticed this difference in you. I'm concerned. So one of the things that happens with with cancer and you know with some of the other things that are going on in our life is that is that we then um, for in many reasons come to us having to do with grief in the workplace and 
um, and it might be because the person has has passed away, or it might be you know the grief because the person's not here, or my job has changed because they're not here, um, or it might be you know there are all sorts of things. And so it seems to me that some of the things that you're saying apply in that situation as well. And the first thing I would guess would be let's not let this be an elephant in the room, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, we're terrified of grief. We don't do grief well in this country. We don't have good rituals around death. Um, and that leaves us sort of having to fend for ourselves with our emotions. So, you know, after let's say it's an employee who has lost their spouse or, or and spouse or partner or child or mother, you know, or parent, and they come back into work. So first of all, just quickly, you know, um, most companies offer three days of bereavement of paid leave. And, um, and some of them don't even offer it paid. They just, you can take three days off. And y'all, that is not enough time. That is not enough time at all. If you're an organization that offers that, I highly recommend that you think about expanding it. Um, I know that Facebook and MasterCard now have 20 days. There's also another organizations that have it as well. And, 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 they, and they striate it. They say 20 days for these people and then 10 days for these people. And it seems kind of like, we're like, ooh, that doesn't feel good. Um, but if it's your grandmother who you don't know very well, then you don't, you know, you don't need 20 days. If it's your grandmother who you really were, who was living with you, who you're really close with, you do need 20 days. So those, so you can kind of play with them. At any rate, the first thing is, is to acknowledge. So I want to do this in two ways. One, I want to talk about if it's an employee who has died. So if it's an employee who's died, your team and you need to grieve. And that grief doesn't happen one day and then you're done. So what I often see companies do is they bring in grief counselors, which can be very, very helpful. But then after three or four days, the grief counselors leave and that still is not enough time. So there's rituals you can create. You can create your own rituals, your grief rituals within your team. You, it is perfectly okay for you to have a memorial service within the organization. And I've seen companies do this. They think that they need the family member's permission. You do not. You can invite the family member. You can say, we really want to do this. We want to do this at a time that's convenient for you. You know, we're thinking about Friday in two weeks. Would you be able to attend? Because it's oftentimes it's a really nice opportunity for the family member to get the, get to know their person through work, right? So you can offer it. If they don't want to come, if they don't, you can still do it. So I highly recommend that you, as a team, it could be your small team of five people does a memorial service, or it could be the whole organization does a memorial service. It's optional. Obviously, you cannot make people attend. You can put together a little thing. Hey, what I'd like to do is just let's sit down and have lunch together and let's just talk about what we miss the most about George. And then you set up the room so that crying is okay. As you, you know, every table, every chair has a tissue box, you know, oh, or, yeah. you know something like that. But you, you could set the parameters and say, look, this is going to be emotional. This is something I feel like we need to do because this person was really important to us. It's okay for us to cry right now. It's okay if you don't cry, if you need to leave the room. I, you know, I, you know, you can set the parameters around what this service looks like. You can ask people to speak so that not everyone has to share. You know, if you've got a team of 20, maybe not everybody wants to share, maybe three or four people want to speak. You know, you can you can put together this sort of service for yourselves. 
This is, I've seen this be really powerful for teams because it gives them the space and the allowance to grieve. And then it lifts, right? It just, they feel like, okay, now I can breathe. It's okay for me to miss this person. Because if you don't do this, what you're telling the org, what you're telling your employees is it's not okay. Like it's okay to miss them sort of, but it's not okay to go on and full miss them because that's, that's private. Like we don't want to see that here at work. Um, uh-huh. Other things I've seen companies do is have a grieving room. It's usually a nursing room or a room that's, you know, safe for a meditation room. Um, it can be a closet that you set up with a little bit of like a chair and maybe, you know, a, a tissues and a, and a waste paper and a waste basket. So people have the opportunity to grieve. Um, so because, because you might be walking past that person's office and you might go, oh, it's not there. I've seen companies um, do something where they have a black screen on Zoom where they actually log into the person's, they have someone log into the person's Zoom meeting and just be a black screen as just a way to honor them. And they do it for a week, you know? So there's so many different, there's really powerful things that you can do that will allow your team to grieve. And that grieving together is really important because the problem with grief is we go, and the problem with the way we grieve, we go into it as an individual, individual thing. The happiest I ever was after my husband died, and I still love it when people call me and tell me stories about him. It makes me so happy because it means that I'm not the only one who misses him. I'm not the only one who thinks right. about him. So that's so so there's that piece. And that leads into the piece of sharing with the person who sharing with the partner or the family member who ha, who who is the who is of the employee because they want to hear those stories. Take the time to record a story. You know, maybe set up a camera in a room. And if you're a marketing agency or an advertising agency, you can have really, you can have a lot of fun with this. So set up the time. Sorry, my, I just blinked out. Okay. Set up the time that everyone can come in and tell a story about this person and then send that video to that family. Talk about powerful. Talk about love. Talk about honor, talk about respect, that family will hold on to the video for the rest of their lives. It's an incredible gift. So now that's, that's if the person at work has died. If the person is an employee who has lost, give them space. They are going to go through a range of emotions. They're going to be cranky. They may be sitting in a meeting and all of a sudden start to cry. Um, they may need to leave in the middle of the day. Their work productivity will probably tank for a little bit of time. Um, and so there are things that you as a, as, a te- as a manager and as employees can say. You can say, first of all, acknowledge what happened. Do not, like I think, okay, I'm gonna, actually I'm gonna go back on what I said. I said, actually not. I was gonna say the worst thing you can say is if you need anything, let me know. The worst thing you can do is not to acknowledge it at all. Don't just pretend it didn't happen because it's pretend too it painful for me to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about it with you. Exactly. And that's where I really want to, I, I say this all the time, their loss is not about you. Their cancer is not about you. The people who, who can't show up in other people's lives is because they make it, they make the thing about them. 
and and it's and they don't mean to and they and they want look y'all these these feelings are hard it's not like it's a walk through the park to feel the grief when someone Mm -hmm. you know loses somebody it brings up your own mortality or the grief that you feel from something that happened in your life doesn't even have to be a death it could be the loss of a job that you're feeling that that suddenly their grief has touched upon it's hard. So I often tell people, look, if you know this person is coming into the office or or they're in the office and you've forgotten and you've just kind of run into them, it's okay to say, I'm so sorry. And I don't know what else to say. Like that speechlessness is very touching because it's a crappy situation and words are not always available to describe it. So it's okay to say, I don't know what to say. It's okay casually to come back to their desk maybe three weeks ago, three weeks later and bring them a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and say, you know, I remember you telling me about, you remember that funny story you told me about your wife and reminisce with them about the story that they told about their wife or their partner or their husband or whoever it was. It's okay for them to cry while they tell the story. So all these things, it, it takes an exceptional, like talk about respect. You uh-huh. are respecting where they are in the moment. And that, look, you may, there are plenty of encounters I have on a regular basis with people who are dealing with cancer, who are dealing with loss. I give them that space. And then when it's over, I walk away and cry because it's so hard to see their pain. All I wanna do is get in there and make it better and fix it and take it away by telling them to stay strong and they got that. But this is not grief and cancer and sadness are not fixing things. They are things that you have to go through. So really taking that time to let that person go through them, to experience them, that's that's incredibly respectful. That is incredibly respectful and also honoring when they say they don't feel like talking about it. You know what? This isn't, I don't feel like talking about this right now. Okay. Okay. That's that's, that's good. Right. It's not about you. It is about where they are in the moment. Um, So I think, you know, just teaching as a manager, if you can have these tools under your belt, you get to teach, you get to help your employees grow by teaching them how to do this. And what an incredible gift that is, because it's not just for work. We all know that these tools we need are for the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah, for our families, our friends, our neighbors, our faith community. That's, that's, yeah, because life happens everywhere. And that means the illness and death happen everywhere too. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's what lean is all about, right? If you're right, if you're, if you're teaching to, if you're growing someone's potential, the tools you're giving them are for the rest of their lives, right? You're not just, you're you're not just, you're just kind of like, Hey, this, this is for this. And when you leave, we get to take that back. (laughs) Right. You get to take it with you. It's the thing you can take with you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. Don't take the pencils, but you can take this skill. (laughs) You can have one pencil for memory's sake, but everything else, you know, but so it's the same thing. You're just teaching them how to manage a difficult situation. The reality is because of COVID, it was already happening in the work environment already. Uh Things are personal and professional 
professional lives were already intertwining. Work is now responsible for helping people be financially, you know, literate to, and well-being and mental health are on the forefront of this. And this is in that category. When you can help your team support an employee with, with dealing with whatever crisis they're working with, you are supporting their mental health and their well-being. You are providing them with tools that they can take with them for the rest of their lives. And the beautiful thing of this, can you imagine as a manager, you teach your team not to say, if you need anything, let me know, and to be specific. And then that one team member goes out into the world and they're in a group of friends where their friend is in crisis uh -huh. and they teach their friends, don't say this, say this. You have just impacted like thousands, hundreds of people, like just by teaching that one tool, that's so powerful to me. You know? And it's, I think it's so applicable to, to so many other situations. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. uh, because, because when you say, I'm just thinking about now, Wendy, but when you say to someone, Hey, I'm going to make sure you never run out of milk, or I'm, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. What you're actually saying to them is also, I'm really looking at you. Yes. I really see you. Yes. I really, yes. I really see you. And, and this is the thing I'm going to take care of for you. It's yes. not like it's a general, you're just another prisoner, but I'm actually really seeing you. And I'm really, I'm really caring for you in this, in this, for this one very small way. Exactly. And and that's why I have to say, you know, don't say things like, you know, what, what, what people try to do is try to make a cancer look good. So at least it's stage four, at least it's stage one, or, you know, at least it's the good kind of cancer. Or, you know, I had someone tell me a couple months after my husband died, he was 44. They said, well, at least you're young, you can still get married. Like that Yikes. was going to solve everything, right? So people do it, they don't do it out of cruelty. They do it because they're uncomfortable with their own feelings and they want to do something that will make you feel better so that they can feel better. So if, if you're aware yeah. of where you're coming from when you're speaking, if you say, stay strong, you're saying that as a way to kind of like, hey, I want to acknowledge you have cancer, but I don't want to get too close. So I'm just going to say some, some thing that says like, yeah, think positive and feel like I've dropped a good bomb on you, a good positive bomb, and then walk away because I can't engage, right? So, so, and there are going to be times you can't engage. And y'all, we've all said bad things. You can, the beauty of knowing that you've said something that isn't helpful, you get to go back to the person and say, mm -hmm. you know that thing I said? so sorry, not helpful. I didn't understand. Here's what I want to say. Yeah. And half the time, look, if the person's really aware, they're going to be like, yeah, that wasn't helpful. And thank you so much for coming back. People love it when you come back because you said something and did something that was incomplete or didn't feel good to you. And you come back to it. What an amazing thing to say to them that you are important to me, that I want to come in and own the fact that I made a mistake and I want to do better. Like I, I want to do better. That's an incredible act of love just in itself. And again, as a manager, that says to an employee, you know, I, I can admit my mistakes. I can. And so that actually then also improves productivity, right? Because, because they can see now their manager is somebody who is learning from mistakes and, you know, that gives you freedom to make mistakes and learn from them as well. 
Absolutely. I mean, of all the years of management um, tools and technology and thought processes that are out there, they are finding over and over and over again that we switched, right? It used to be sort of that hierarchical, I'm the manager, I know what's right, we're going to do it this way. And they notice that it doesn't increase productivity and doesn't increase engagement. And that then engagement and productivity is really, really important because we all know that people don't quit companies, they quit their managers, right? right? 70% of those who quit jobs quit their managers. So if you are a manager who is a human being, you give your team an opportunity to be a human being and you give your team an opportunity to grow together as human beings to support each other, to get through those difficult emotions of jealousy, anger, revenge, right? Hurt, grief, sadness. You give them the opportunity to work through that. And then they dig in because they feel like I can show up here and I, I, I want to, first of all, they have tools to manage it and they, their feelings, but I want to show up in the best way I possibly can, not just for myself, but because I'm an important part of the team and I want to make sure the team succeeds as well. What a gift. What a gift. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Kim, how can people find you and, and, and tell us about your book? Sure. So my book is available on Amazon, or you can go over to 100actsoflove.com and that's the number 100. I also, I'm on LinkedIn, so please check me out on LinkedIn. I'm posting almost daily there. Um, I do a LinkedIn Live every Thursday where I cover a topic that has to deal with management and cancer or grief and loss. This week, I'm going to be talking about how do you help an employee grieve at work because based on the, the shootings we've had over the past couple of weeks, um, you can also download five phrases never to say to anyone with cancer by going to my website at 100xoflove.com backslash what not to say. So that's all one word, no capitalized, what not to say. Um, and you learn five phrases never to, never to use. You learn why they're not helpful because I think that's really important to understand the, the, the anatomy of, of a wrong phrase and what to say instead. And hopefully this will launch you off and your team off into really understanding how to connect with a person on your team who is in crisis. Thank you. Kim Hammett, what would be your one piece of advice to a young person starting out? You know, Bella, you asked me this before and I was really stumped. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's an interesting piece of advice because I don't think that you can get it fully until you're older. And that is you matter. You're a pebble in a pond and, or you could be a rock in the pond, depending on, depending on <laughs> your, depending on what, 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 you know, how big an impact you want to make. I think it's something that we underestimate. We, we, we think it's all about us, but how we treat people, how we talk to people, how we show up for people really matters to them. So when someone's struggling, I, I, you know, that's sort of my slogan is you matter, because I think we forget, we get scared, we get worried that we're going to say and do the wrong thing, we get in our heads, and we forget that just showing up matters, that you are enough. So I think that's what I would tell somebody is that who you are right now, with all those mistakes you made, so then we're not just saying just the good parts of you, we're including all the mistakes you've made and all the mistakes you're gonna make in the future of your life. You matter. You are really, really important. Those mistakes help define who you are um, and help bring you to that center of groundness. So I think I would say, just remember that you matter, you're important. 
You are important to everyone who knows you. You bring something to the table every single day that you show up. So that would be, I don't know if that's advice or just kind of like a go get them type of thing. It's a, I think it's advice to remember that, right? Yes. Remember that you matter. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Kim Hamer, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Oh, Belle, thank you. Bella, thank you so much for having me. I'm so appreciative. I love what you do. Um, I'm going to start recommending that to a lot of people because I think that they, I, you know, having that growth mindset for your team is so incredibly vital. So thank you for what you do. Thanks. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Kim Hamer for being my guest on The Edges of Me. What are your experiences with cancer or other serious illness in the workplace? What suggestions do you have for how to support people and their families? We'd love to hear from you. Find Kim at 100actsoflove.com and be sure to download her guide on the things not to say. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. And tell a friend about The Edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of The Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.